Greetings, everyone. I'm Jeffrey K. Lyons, and it's Wednesday, November 29, and this is Narrative Wars. Canadian conservative politician Pierre Polyev shows American conservatives how to destroy liberal press framing. Iowa has come up with a creative strategy to eliminate DEI programs from state-funded universities. And finally, Jordan Peterson. Well, he's swatting down ideological-driven narratives like flies in a panel discussion. These stories and my final comments regarding Thanksgiving all on today's episode of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. So tired. Well, we're so thankful for you, our Narrative Wars audience. And for those of you who are just tuning in and checking us out, we want to issue the following caveat or warning. This program will contain satire. I just can't help it, folks. It's who I am and it's what I do. I don't even think about it. It just comes out. Well, Webster uh, refers to satire as, quote, wit, irony, or sarcasm used to expose and discredit vice or folly, unquote. Well, this is exactly what we aim to accomplish here on this program. Each week, we peel back the curtain of confusion to expose the mainstream media madness. And if you're one of those brave souls out there who are not afraid to question the mainstream media narratives, you notice how the alphabet networks, they'll all sort of present the same editorial slant as they cover the same story. It's as if the same person wrote the script and handed it out to the different networks. Hmm. Wonder, wonder how that works. Our antidote is to mix up a healthy serving of weekly satire to combat the Orwellian, Big Brother-style legacy media. So sit back and enjoy the ride. I'm Jeffrey K. Lyons, and this is Narrative Wars. Well, jumping right into our first piece, this has to do with a Canadian politician. And we usually don't cover a lot of Canadian politics, although we do have audience in Canada, and we really appreciate that. But this one just jumped off the page, so we're going to take a look at this. This is Canadian Conservative Party member Pierre Polyev, and he is having a conversation with a reporter, a, uh, well, clearly not friendly to conservative reporter. But in the uh, video, you'll see he's eating an apple and he's listening to this reporter and he's swatting away the ridiculous setup narrative. Now, you hear this all the time when reporters ask questions. They do it uh, in the White House press room. The same thing. They will say, 
three, four, five sentences or more, and they'll give this long background and framing, and then they'll ask the question. Well, he's doing the same thing, uh, this reporter, uh, who we don't even need to name the name, he's doing the same thing, and apparently this is what they all learn in uh, journalism school, if you believe there's such a thing. But Pierre Polyev just swats down the framing and then finally gets to the meat of the issue. So we're going to listen to this in two cuts. The first cut is Pierre just demolishing this person and just handing it to him. And then we're going to listen to the second cut where uh, he finally talks about who he is and why people should vote for him. Let's take a listen to this. This is cut 1A. Um, on the on the topic, I mean, in terms of your sort of strategy currently, you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ap appealing appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, I mean, what certainly, you mean certainly you certainly you tap certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? Uh, left wing, you know this and that. Right wing, they, you know. I mean, it's that that type I of ideological thing. I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot I of people don't really believe in that. Okay, a lot of people would would say that you're simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump uh, book. Like which people would say that? Well, I'm sure a great many Canadians, but like who? <laughs> I don't know who, but well, you're um, the one who asked the question, so yeah, how, you must know somebody. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm sure there's some out there, but anyways, the, the point say. of this the point of this question is, I mean, why should why should Canadians trust you with their vote, given you know? Not not just the sort of ideological inclination in terms of taking the page of Donald Trump's book, but what are you also talking about? What page? What page? Can you give okay. me a page? Give me the page. You keep <laughs> in, saying in terms that. in terms of tur turning things quite dramatically in terms of of Trudeau and and the left wing and all of this. I mean, you 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 make quite a you know it's it's quite a play that you make on it. So I'm I'm not just sure. I don't under, I don't know what your question okay. is. So this is great. Basically, you just turn the tables. You turn the tables on the person who's coming at you. Well, you are a populist. What do you mean by a populist? What is that? Can you explain to me? Well, you have people uh, that are behind you that are right wing. Well, wh what does that mean? I, I don't really talk about right wing and left wing. That's, that's something I really believe in. I'm not into that sort of division. Well, you uh, are taking a page out of the Donald Trump book. You know, there's people out there. What people? Can, can you name me the people? I, I love this. Folks, you can use this. The reason we're jumping into this, you can use this in daily conversation. When somebody says, I really don't like so-and-so politician, because they're populist. I mean, just insert the conservative, whoever you want. You know, I don't like Donald Trump because they're populist. I don't like so-and-so, they're populist. So what does that mean? What exactly do you mean by populist? And you're going to find out that in the majority of cases, they have no idea what they're talking about. You know, what is populism? Um, well, I'm not really sure. You know, they're, they're talking about it on television. 
that there's something wrong with Trump being populist. Okay, so what is it that is wrong with that? Well, I'm not really sure, but that's what they're saying. Okay, well, is that what you're saying? Is that what you agree with? Because you don't even know what it is. Here's the other one that was, I love this. Well, you're taking a page out of the Donald Trump book. This is what people are saying. What page? Can you tell me what page? You know, reporters throw out these terms and nine times out of 10, politicians just let them get away with it. He's The whole point is here, Pierre Polyev is not letting this person get away with it. What page? What people are you talking about? He had no idea what page because he wasn't expecting to get challenged. What people are you talking about? Well, he had no names ready because he, again, didn't expect to be challenged. This is the whole thing, folks. If you challenge these people, they're not going to have the receipts. Nine out of ten, they won't have the receipts. If they do have the receipts, that's fine. Have a conversation, and you may agree or disagree on the facts out there, but this reporter didn't do his homework. All right, we're going to continue here with the second part of this interview, and finally, the reporter gives up with his framing. He looks foolish. He's uh, choking on his responses, and you know, the story, one thing I taught broadcasting, one of the things is that the story is not supposed to be the reporter. The story is supposed to be the story. But in this case, the reporter did become the story and he looked like an absolute fool. Well, finally, the reporter gives up with the framing uh, behind his questions and just says, well, why should Canadians vote for you? And uh, this is great. Let's take a listen to what he says. This is cut 1B. Then forget that. Why should Canadians trust you with their vote? Common sense. Okay. Common sense for, for a change. We're going to make common sense common in this country. We don't have any common sense in the current government. You know, the guy prints $600 billion, grows our money supply by 32% in three years. That's growing the money eight times faster than the economy. No wonder we have the worst inflation in four decades. I'm going to cap spending, cut waste, so that we can balance the budget and bring down inflation and interest rates. You'll want to be able to pay your mortgage again. You want to be able to afford rent. Then you have to vote for Pierre Polyev because I'm the only one with a common sense plan that will bring back the buying power of your paycheck. So I love this. Pierre Polyev doubles down on the term common sense. And then he points out the reasons that it is common sense to vote for Pierre Polyev. Basically, that the federal government in Canada has been overprinting money. The money supply has been growing far quicker than the economy. And so if you have too many dollars chasing a smaller amount of goods and services, the result is always going to be the same. It's going to be out of control inflation, just like in the United States of America. So you can see this sort of spend, spend, spend attitude of the federal government. Same thing going on in Canada as in the United States. So he's saying 
common sense. If you want to be able to pay your mortgages, put food on the table, buy the things that you need, you need to vote for me because we're going to reduce the size of the federal government and we're going to stop printing money in an out-of-control fashion, which is simply driving up inflation. Now, I don't know if Pierre Polyev was tipping his hat an homage to a, to a pamphlet that was written by Thomas Paine and published between 1775-1776. This is when people were reading it, taking a look at it. But it was a 47-page pamphlet by the title, Common Sense. And the pamphlet advocated for independence from Great Britain to people in the 13 colonies. It was written in a clear and pervasive prose, according to the byline in Amazon. And Payne marshaled support and morale for the cause of the colonies when they were fighting against the British forces. And he summed it up in this title, Common Sense. So isn't that interesting is that this same argument of common sense government, which was made all the way back in 1775-76 by Thomas Paine, something similar is still being argued to this very day. Well, we want to take this time to look into the Narrative Wars posse comments. And we've got one comment that uh, sort of arises above the rest uh, for today's program in response to our story about Target recently hiring, quote, Eric Thompson as Target's senior LGBTQIA plus segmentation and pride lead. Robin Bird on Getter, she responded, Bye-bye, Target. The sad part is many good people will lose their jobs because of these psychos. Thank you, Robin Bird, for sharing that. You can add your voice to the conversation that stands for liberty and the freedoms that Americans hold so dearly. Just join us on social media. You can find us on both Getter that's G-E-T-T-R and Truth Social. Just search for at Jeffrey K. Lyons. And that's Lyons with a Y. At Jeffrey K. Lyons. I enjoy receiving your feedback and reading some of your comments on the air. Again, you can follow us on Getter or Truth Social by searching for at Jeffrey K. Lyons. And when you listen to us on your favorite podcasting app, Please, five-star rate, follow, and send our podcast link out to one or two like-minded friends. That's how we continue to expand the Narrative Wars posse. You are the reason why we do this program. And now, let's continue. Well, moving on to our next piece. Uh, this has to do with the Iowa Board of Regents. Now, I have to kind of paint the picture of what happened here because this happened 
in a number of steps. So there's a sequential uh, side to this story. Uh, the story coming out November the 16th, 2023, is that the Iowa Board of Regents have made recommendations for DEI positions across three state universities in the state of Iowa to be cut. And so that is really a big story. In order to set it up, we have to go back to April of 2023. They were trying to push out a law which would take out DEI, and uh, that bill did not pass. So what they did was they passed a study bill. This is another way to do it. There wasn't quite enough uh, support in the Iowa state legislature to just cut it from the budget altogether. And so they put out a, a study bill, House Study 218, and it focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So let's take a listen to this. Now, this has to do with something very interesting that happened in November 16th, 2023. This is cut number three. The Iowa Board of Regents is considering recommendations to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion at all three state universities. WHO 13's Roger Riley joins us live in Cedar Falls. Roger, several improvements are being considered. Yeah, that's kind of a list, and uh, again, not everybody agrees on this, but the study was undertaken by a three-member task force from the regions. Now, there are 10 total recommendations today. Here are some of those which are controversial. Number one, restructure the central university-wide DEI offices to eliminate any DEI functions that are not necessary for compliance or accreditation. Two, review all college department or unit-level DEI positions. And number eight said, explore potential recruitment strategies for advancing diversity of intellectual and philosophical perspective in faculty and staff applicant pools. And number nine, widespread initiative that includes opportunities for education and research on free speech and civic education. Our campuses should be a place where debate and conversations take place as well as, well as learning the ability to see both sides of an issue and argue both sides of it. More than anything, we want students who leave our universities to be able to think critically. Our decisions should be what's best for our schools in cooperation with their leaders. Instead, we are micromanaging their decisions and imposing new political intrusions on freedom. Professors and leaders in our schools encourage critical thinking, discussion, and questioning to improve learning. External intrusions do not improve learning, but are trying to undermine and control the universities. So again, what happened was that the Iowa House had put forth a bill in the state legislature to just outright defund DEI in the state universities. They didn't have enough support to get that passed. So instead, they passed a resolution uh, called House study 218 that bill would study the situation the study came out and the piece you just heard was the effect of the study after the study was done they had these recommendations the nine-member board voted to adopt the recommendations so these 10 recommendations that you just heard in that piece were adopted now he only mentioned four of the recommendations among the recommendations 
they're going to completely stop hiring any more DEI people. Now, then you heard two comments. One person that the first person was clearly in favor of it. They said, you know, DEI is really not working. It's about ideology and you're pushing these narratives. And we're going to get into this in our next piece. We're going to listen to Jordan Peterson, who really breaks down the narratives that are happening on these college campuses. And then the final comment comes from someone who is against cutting DEI positions. And this is very typical of universities. She says, well, we don't really like the micromanaging. We really don't like the people at the... No, she doesn't say it, okay? But between the lines, she then... She does say, we don't like the micromanaging. But between the lines, she's saying even more, we don't like the state legislature in Iowa telling us what to do on university campuses. Well, ha, you know, here the, here's the problem. It's the state of Iowa that holds the purse strings. It's the state of Iowa that cuts the paychecks for those university professors and for those university administrators. But they don't, you know, they don't want to be told what to do. They like collecting the paychecks. They, oh, they love that. But they don't like the fact that the state of Iowa wants to weigh in regarding how the money is spent. You know, the representatives, folks, you, you understand how this works. The representatives are listening to their constituents and the constituents are saying to the representatives, we don't like the ideology that's being pushed on college campuses. So now I want to do a quick follow-up here before we leave this story. There's a piece here. Actually, it's a study. And this study came out in 2023. And I'm going to put the links in the show notes. But it's the 2023, it's kind of got a long title, 2023 American College Student Freedom, Progress, and Flourishing Survey done by John Bitson, PhD. And this came out of North Dakota State University. But it's talking about free speech on campus, human progress. And then there's also a section here that talks about capitalism and socialism. According to this study, slightly more than half of students, only 56% of the students agree with the statement that capitalism is best defined as an economic system in which property is privately owned Exchange is voluntary, and production and pricing of goods and services are determined by market forces. Now get this, 30% of the students agree with this statement, that capitalism is an economic system in which corporations utilize grants, special tax breaks, political connections, and special rules that favor them over competitors to earn profits. Well, of course, this is a ridiculous statement because there are hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of small businesses across America, and those businesses are not corporations. Some of them are entrepreneurs, which are simply sole proprietors. Others might be LLCs. A number, there are a number of different ways to do business 
in the United States. So to make the assumption that the only type of business that represents capitalism are corporations is absurd. 30% of students believe and that capitalism is an economic system in which corporations use grants, special tax breaks, and political connections and special rules that favor them over competitors to earn profits. Now, do some corporations do those things? Absolutely. Are those sorts of things a problem? Yeah. We refer to it as crony capitalism, but that is not the definition of capitalism. That is not the classic definition of capitalism, and the classic definition of capitalism is not being taught. A perfect setup to teach them that capitalism doesn't work. Let's all be good Marxists, and let's give up on the American dream. Well, not here, not at this program, but this is what is being taught on university campuses all across the country. Let's move on to the next piece. Well, that's a perfect transition into our final piece here. This is Jordan Peterson. And he was in a panel on a program with Bill Mayer. Now, they were talking about the Israel-Hamas conflict and responses to that. But what Jordan Peterson details so brilliantly is how this Marxist ideology is being pushed on university campuses. And we just came off a story where we talked about the Iowa situation where they want to get DEI out. And one of the, just again, to throw back to that story, one of the reasons why DEI is so hurtful to universities is that they make university professors who are applying for these positions, but in many of these universities, you have to write a DEI statement. You know, how are you going to support DEI on our campus? And basically, if you don't cross all the T's and dot the I's and cheer for the ideology of the Green New Deal and all of the things that DEI represents, well, you don't get the job. So it has the filter. It has the filter of keeping out anyone that believes in certain traditional values, common sense values, as Pierre Polyev was talking about in the beginning of this program. So Jordan Peterson, take a listen to this final piece here and he demolishes the ideological Marxist, pro-Marxist narrative, which is on college campuses. Take a listen to this. This is cut number four. The main issue, I mean, part of the reason that you see all this foolishness on university campuses, too, is because people have bought this idiot meta-Marxism, which is that the way to look at every social relationship that people ever have is through the lens of power. And that, that is, we can put that squarely at the feet of the universities, as far as I'm concerned, is, you know, marriage is a patriarchal institution and business is nothing but oppression. And you have to view every single situation that emerged historically as oppressor versus oppressed. And then once you get that, which you can get in about two minutes, if you sit in a course that teaches that sort of thing, you have a lens to moralize about the whole world through. 
And then you see the situation is that the leftists have already decided the Palestinians are the victims. And as you pointed out, if you're a victim, then you're morally righteous. And even more conveniently, if you stand for the victim, then you're morally righteous, regardless of what you do with your own life. And that's pretty much what university students are taught from the time they enter the university classroom. And that's how they, you know, orient themselves morally. Well, and I that's think. at the hands of the radical left, too, Bill. And one of the things the Democrats also have to pay the price for, I would say, is their absolute refusal to draw a line between the moderate Democrats and the extremists. They're completely incapable of doing that. Like, I've talked to 40 senators and congressmen in the last five years. I asked them all the same question, including RFK. He wouldn't answer either. When does the left go too far? Well, we certainly bloody well saw it in the last month, didn't we? Because they got the oppressor, oppressive narrative, a uh, little mucked up, we might say. And we're going to, the consequences of that are going to unfold pretty brutally over the next few months. So what he's referring to, Jordan Peterson is referring to, he's talking to Bill Mayer, and there's a panel of people here. The links are in the show notes. He's saying the oppressor, oppressed narrative has gotten mucked up. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Israel having the right to defend itself when 1,200 Israelis get brutally butchered, cut to pieces, shot, killed, they have the right to defend themselves. What is they supposed to do? Just stand around the next day and, hey, come, kill more of us. No. I mean, would any of us do that? No. Common sense. We would defend ourselves. But no, we saw that happen, and we've covered this in this program in depth. The narrative shifted within a couple weeks, predictably. The narrative shifted to, well, the oppressors are Israel. So the people that got attacked, the people whose babies were murdered, mothers were murdered, children were murdered, old people, children kidnapped, those people are now the oppressors, and the oppressed are the people that flew in and uh, committed these atrocities which are now being compared to Holocaust-level atrocities, certainly in terms of brutality, not in terms of overall numbers, but certainly in terms of brutality. But it's reversed. How did this happen? And he breaks it all down. It's because of the ideology on the college campuses. The college campuses support this reversal of blame, well, Jordan Peterson just does an outstanding job of taking something rather complex and breaking it down to the simplest of components, basically the oppressor oppressed. And if you, as he said, if you boil everything down to oppressor and oppressed, well, then you can use that meta-narrative and you can just sort of plug it in into course after course after course across the university spectrum, including economics. Economics uses power, oppressor-oppressed, the bourgeois and the proletariat, and they use this economic model in order to criticize capitalism and in order to really make communism sound great. I don't think it's a great idea killing 100 million people Communists thought that was a great idea. Yeah, let's kill 100 million people. And that's what happened during the 20th century. In Russia, tens of millions died. 
in China under Mao, tens of millions died, Pol Pot. You add up all these bodies all across the world, a hundred million people dead. All the result of wonderful communism, which seeks to normalize things and give everybody universal income and liberate the working people. All it does is create a new two-class system. You've got the a new group of oppressors, the communists that are in charge, and you've got everybody else. And if you don't toe the line, certainly in communist China, well, they're thrown in jail or they just disappear. Not so good. So thank you, Jordan Peterson, for breaking that one down for us. Be on the lookout for this narrative, oppressor and oppressed. It is a false narrative, and uh, there is no other economic system in the, on the face of the earth that has ever allowed a country to advance economically so quickly as capitalism, because it just allows people to go to work and to improve themselves. If they fail, they fail. But sometimes they create amazing things like the airplane or the light bulb, things that revolutionize the entire history of mankind. And now some final comments about the American tradition of Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving is a uniquely American holiday. Abraham Lincoln declared a Thanksgiving holiday to be celebrated on the fourth Thursday of every November. The day shifted to the third Thursday of November for a few years because President Franklin D. Roosevelt wanted to boost the economy as it came out of the Depression. But in 1941, Congress moved it back to Lincoln's original spot on the calendar, placing Thanksgiving back on the fourth Thursday of November. And that's where it's been up until this day. Not too many people have read Lincoln's proclamation. It was given during the Civil War. And in the proclamation, Lincoln gives thanks to, quote, the Most High God, unquote, for preserving the Union and not allowing the entire American experiment to crumble on the ash heap of history. Lincoln therefore proclaims the following. This is right out of the proclamation. And uh, it's just one sentence here. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens. That was October the 3rd. 1863, President Abraham Lincoln. Well, hopefully you've had a wonderful Thanksgiving with friends and family this year. And for some people, Thanksgiving is about food and family and friends. For others, it's about watching Thanksgiving football games together or other sporting events. One of the things I like to do is to think back on the past year and to be thankful 
for the blessings that my family has received, and perhaps your family does the same. Of course, Thanksgiving is uniquely American, as we've pointed out. We think about the Mayflower, which landed on December the 18th, 1620, in Plymouth, Massachusetts. That's over 400 years ago. They didn't have much time to construct homes to survive that first harsh New England winter, and indeed, about half of their group perished due to sickness during that time. Indeed, those who survived that first winter were thankful to God for their lives. They continued to build and plant crops in order to prepare for the next winter. The story of a native known as Squanto is indeed considered miraculous in both its timing and impact upon the struggling Plymouth colony. Now, Squanto lived in England and Europe for five years, and he had learned English in London. He was from Plymouth, Massachusetts, the very same place where the pilgrims landed in December of 1620. Now, Squanto yearned to return to his home in Plymouth, and he returned, and much to his surprise and agony, when he returned, his tribe was all gone. He discovered that a pandemic of disease had killed all of them. Native tribes hesitated to take over that land, and they were fearful that the same fate would befall them. So when Squanto arrived, his family and relatives were gone. The English settlers, who were sick after surviving that first winter, they were still struggling, barely staying alive, being away for five years and now being the lone survivor of his tribe. Returning home, Squanto decided to help the pilgrims. He taught them how to plant crops, fish, hunt, in the new land. Well, one story goes this way. Squanto understood the English. He understood that they had firearms. He didn't want to get shot. And so he called out to them, do you have any beer? Of course, a native of the land walking out of the forest could be threatening, but by calling out, do you have any beer? It worked. And so the pilgrims were not afraid, and they reached out to Squanto, and they saw God's hand in it. I mean, here's, here's someone who just comes out of the forest. They're native. They're from there, but they speak perfect English. So Squanto helps them, teaches them how to plant food, how to hunt, fish, and live off the land. The food that they had that first Thanksgiving. It was completely different from what we consume today. Now, they didn't have any turkey. They ate wild game like deer and other things. Neither football nor television had been invented yet, and yet they had much to be thankful for. There was plenty of food, and they learned how to live in the new environment. The pilgrims gave thanks to God for his provision on that first Thanksgiving. And many years later, President Abraham Lincoln declared a day of, quote, thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father. 
We who are alive today carry on that tradition that was begun over 400 years ago in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And from such a humble beginning, a nation was formed. As Americans, another Thanksgiving is now in the rearview mirror, and we look ahead to the holidays and the Christmas season with more family and friends, food, office parties, and other gatherings. So let us celebrate the fact that there is still a land of the free and a home of the brave, a place where we can still proclaim liberty throughout the land. And that's a comforting thought. Until next time for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired So tired